I often look back at that time and say it was probably the most difficult decision of my entire career to step away from a career. Um, I had just launched the AS400 product line. I was one of the top countries uh, experts in uh, the architecture of the AS400. I, I was the person who launched it in Boston. I was young, this was heady stuff. And so to, to make a decision at, at such a height to walk away was very difficult. Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Be Bold. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Anne Del Santo, an inspirational leader who has trailblazed throughout her career while also prioritizing family. Today, we talk about her journey, hurdles she faced along the way, the mentors that inspired her, and the advice she has for young people building their own careers. Welcome to the podcast, Anne. It's a pleasure to have you today. And full disclosure for the audience, you know, Anne Del Santo, who joins us today, is a member of the board of directors at Juniper Networks. She's an inspirational leader in the tech world, but she started off in New York. From your accent, I can tell you're from New York, but tell us a little bit about your beginnings and how did you get interested in tech in the first place? Well, thank you, Manoj. It's really wonderful to be here. It is definitely a privilege to see you often um, at the board meetings, and so um, it is, it's great to join you for this. Uh, yes, you definitely picked up my New York City accent. I, I grew up in Queens, New York, and I would say uh, the beginning of my love of tech really began um, with an algebra class. I fell in love with algebra and geometry, and I just could not believe um, how rewarding it was to solve problems, to solve for an equation. Uh, many listening probably think that's <laughs> unbelievable, but it's true. And that was really the beginning of, of my love of technology and, and really solving problems through the use of technology. That's great. Algebra. Hmm. So from what I know, I think you did your schooling in St. John's and you started off in math with a minor in computer science. How, how did you get like really into it? Like algebra was a great start, but math and computer science, how did you get into it? Yeah, I, I, chose, I chose St. John's because it was, I paid my way through college. And so that really, you know, helped me decide where I was going to end up going to college. And my love of math uh, through high school made me realize that math helps you to think through things. Mm. It helps you to prove your theories and, and come up with a solution. And I thought it was the best preparation. At the time, I was actually thinking I might want to be a lawyer. And so I said, what, what could I major in undergraduate that's going to prepare me for the rigors of putting together a case and I could think of nothing better than, uh, you know, proving a calculus theorem in advanced calculus and physics. And so I did that. Uh, it was a concentration. You had two choices in math. You could go applied or theory. And at the time, applied mathematics was computer science. And that was really my first taste of programming, developing, 
And again, solving solutions with technology and just the rewarding feeling when you see that output come out based on your program. So uh, it just, it kept in interesting me and, and, and getting me excited about what laid ahead. Beautiful theory. And from theory, you move to applied math. Yes. And if I look at math as a whole, then going into computer science, these are not areas which was typically female-dominated areas in the past. It was predominantly male-dominated areas. So when you got into this, did you have any early mentors? How was it getting into this field, which was predominantly male-dominated at that time? And did you have any early mentors or anybody to help you through this journey? Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, looking back at the time, I just loved math so much. I never really actually lifted my head up and looked around to see there weren't very many of me in the room. But I did have two great girlfriends, and we were the only three that were in that graduating class of, of math. But um, I also had an older sister, uh, Regina, and she ended up majoring in math. We both had this love. She went into actuarial sciences and more on the business side. But I, I always had somebody that I could share this love with and that it was reflected back to me that, that this was fun and interesting um, and I could have a social life as well. So, so, that, so that really did continue to encourage me. You had a great role model, your elder sister. That's awesome. Yes. Uh, after school, you know, getting, before getting into a profession, I think you had told me earlier that you, know, you had a brief snippet where you actually worked for your dad. You know, your dad in the accounting profession and you did work for your dad. And there were some early experiences which came out of working for your dad and maybe some areas you definitely want to be in and some areas you definitely don't want to be in, right? There was some formative period for you. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Sure. Like you said, my dad was in accounting. He, he did various roles on Wall Street. And one summer, I, I worked in an accounting department in a brokerage firm. And for me, with my dad being an accountant and me loving math, I just thought everybody becomes an accountant. You know, when you're in school, you have no idea. But after working that summer in what is the back office, I realized this is not something I want to do the rest of my life. And when I was developing and programming in college, I likened it to a back office job. And so mm. while I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do with this computer science love, I knew that sitting in front of a screen and developing all day, um, I, I just couldn't see myself doing that. I didn't know what else uh, a career would hold for me. Uh, but because of this accounting experience, I knew that development might not be in the cards for me. So accounting had an influence, no software development. I don't want to be sitting in front of a computer. So then you ended up in IBM. So how did that IBM journey start? You know, how did you progress in the IBM journey? Sure. I, I had the opportunity to be an intern for IBM in my final summer at college. And this is happenstance, and sometimes this happens in careers, you know, just these lucky happenstance. I was um, assigned to a systems engineer. Of course, I never knew what this role was. I didn't even know it existed. But I worked with a systems engineer all summer. We visited customers throughout Manhattan. I ended up, by the end of the summer, giving presentations at the customer visitor center on capacity planning and how do you manage memory and swapping and disk capacity on your mainframes? And 
this combination of technology to solve business problems, working with customers, understanding their businesses, and helping them see how technology is the solver of these problems. I almost could not believe that people would pay you to do a job like this. And I really did fall into it as an intern. So I began working for IBM and, you know, as they say, the rest is history. This pre-sales, systems engineering, solution engineering really became the model for, for what most of my career was made up of. So what I hear from you is that you loved engaging with, you know, customers, solving problems, you know, a different sort of applied math in terms of actually solving problems, but not mm -hmm. sitting in front of the computer, right? Which is what exactly. you hated the most. <laughs> yes. So I think um, you spent a few years at IBM and then you took a break to spend time with the family, to start a family, you, you had kids, and it was a big hiatus, if I'm not mistaken. Do you, do you want to tell us something, something about that decision as well as coming back to work later? Sure. Um, you know, I often look back at that time and say it was probably the most difficult decision of my entire career to step away from a career. Um, I had just launched the AS400 product line. I was one of the top country's uh, experts in uh, the architecture of the AS400. I, I was the person who launched it in Boston. I was young, this was heady stuff. And so to, to make a decision at, at such a height to walk away was very difficult. But I, I knew that it was right for me and our family for me to do that. And so I did stay home uh, eight years to, to raise uh, my two children and then did come back into the workforce. I hadn't met anybody who had done that at that time. Uh, and I came back as a solutions engineer for Oracle, uh, which you know, isn't, isn't known for its uh, touchy-feely <laughs> you know, soft culture. Um, but, but I was grateful for that opportunity and, and I, I picked up my career uh, at Oracle. I mean, there's a lot of things you kind of, un, you know, to unpack right there from what you said. You were on a meteoric rise at IBM, and then you had to make a decision, okay, family is more important. And a lot of female leaders go through the same kind of question in their lives, you know, when they are actually doing really well, and they have to make a choice, this or that. And in your example, I think you're a shining example that it's not a choice. You can do both. You can actually take a hiatus. And most people typically worry, like, you know, if you are out for a while, and I think you were out for about eight years, and you just came back and you didn't miss a beat, right? So, and you're not entering a company which is a easy company to enter. You know, it's a very hard-charging, tough-as-nails company, Oracle, right? So you made the transition fairly seamlessly. Is there any insights you can share with, you know, female leaders who are going through the same kind of you know, question in their life, you know, am I going to miss out on something? I have to choose between one and two, and how can I re-enter the workforce in a way it's comfortable and possible? Yeah. Yeah, I would say that, you know, it is hard, but most things in life that are worth doing are difficult, right? It was difficult to step away. It's difficult to enter in. Um, your confidence is takes a real hit. But I, I guess two things, um, always having a learner's attitude, uh, being a lifelong learner, coming back and saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to learn this latest technology that we're in, 
And I looked for the opportunity of where I could bring immediate value. You know, sometimes if you look really different than anybody else, I was a little older, I had been out of the workforce, that actually also makes me unique. And so I look at my background and say, but what can I uniquely bring to this opportunity? And at the time, DB2, IBM's DB2 database, was a fierce competitor. And so I knew IBM competitive intelligence because I had worked there. And so I began to teach at Oracle, what are some of the weaknesses or the competitive differentiators that we could bring to customers um, with our new AI database product? And that gave me a place where I could stand in confidence, something that other people did not have, but that I did have, and I could bring that. And then about six months in, there was a job opportunity that opened for a team lead. And I thought, you know, um, I'm probably not gonna get it, but I'm going to regret it if I don't at least try. And in the interview, they asked me, have you ever been a manager? And I said, no, I haven't, but you know what? I've been a mom. And I think it's pretty similar. I've had to break up fights. I've had to have people work together, find the strengths, move forward. Uh, you know, it made the director at the time laugh, but I also got the job. And, and so that was just another, you know, don't hold yourself back. Don't second guess, go for things. And if the answer is no, it's okay. That's the season. And you're gonna learn from that experience and go on to something else. Definitely, I see, you know, you have this, you know, clarity in terms of what you want to do, you know, always put the best version of yourself, doesn't matter what the challenge is, you know, and you're coming back to work, started off as an individual contributor, and then eventually became the group vice president running all of systems engineering in Oracle. And that's not an easy feat. Uh, any learnings through that experience, you know, how you grew up to be a leader of people, any mentors, any, any insights or stories you can share with uh, our audience? Sure, I mean, each, each one of those steps are, are a step and a season in your career. You start always keeping, you know, the true north is our customers, right? We're not a company if we don't have customers who love our products. And so always thinking about what is the best thing we can do to have our customers fall in love with our product and really understand how it solves their solutions and bringing that to the people that worked for me. Also really thinking about career pathing for the people that were in my organization. So the internal focus of making people love what they do every day and feel like they're really growing their career. Those were some key lessons I learned as, as my organization grew uh, and as, as we grew to different places around the world. So, um, and I would say that my mentors, many times my mentors were uh, the leader I was reporting to. Uh, I know you've had Hillary on this podcast. She was definitely a mentor for me because while when I started, she was leading the whole organization, she always made it a point to really get to know uh, the shining stars in her organization. And I felt very encouraged by that, that you know, while she's in California and I was in Boston, she made it a point to talk with me, meet with me. Um, and those were things that would just meant a lot as I was building my career um, and, and being back in the workforce. So a New Yorker was already in California in Oracle. And then the, your next journey was to Salesforce, if I'm not mistaken. In 2019, you joined Salesforce. 
again, I think a company known for its customer focus, probably that's one of the things which attracted you to Salesforce. And you grew in Salesforce, you're running a thousand plus people organization, heading the products. That's a company in the peak of its growth too at that time. So what were some of the challenges you faced? What were some of the you know, great achievements you feel like you, know, you did in your journey through Salesforce? Is there something you can share with us? Sure. I mean, Salesforce, like you said, they were known for customer centric. I think the technically the thing that really got my attention in 2012 is I had only been on on-premise software. I had not been I had not seen things in the cloud. And I was amazed at the power of their platform. I was amazed that every customer was on the same version, that this is the SaaS model. Uh, these are things that blew my mind back then. And and I wanted to be a part of it. Uh, the new challenge was taking on a global organization. Dealing with customers in every country around the world was that new challenge that I stepped into. Uh, while I was there, I also took on specialist sales. So, you know, a sales organization. That got me really working very closely with product. And that began um, just that really understanding product, the things that drive product engineering, product road mapping. Um, and that's how my final role was to lead the, the platform product organization, uh, which, was, which was a wonderful experience. And a lot of it was just all that years of experience of studying customers, bringing it to our product roadmap, and really turning around the engagement with customers from a product perspective. So that was wonderful. It also got me in a position to meet with CEOs of ISVs that were building on our platform. And I think that was the beginning of me realizing that working with founder CEOs, new CEOs, transformative CEOs and companies was very exciting. Just sharing strategy, working on strategy, uh, which which I would say was most instrumental in laying the groundwork for the chapter that I'm in now. Hold that thought for a while. I'm going to get there. I want to kind of spend some time there. But uh, your journey is very interesting for me because usually you're sitting in, you know, the journey to lead a product organization comes from either you are, you know, in front of the computer a lot of time in terms of, you know, development or, you know, building products, you know, having a business background and then growing in that journey and becoming a product leader. Your journey is actually you started with the customers, solutions. What does it really help to make the solutions stick in terms of specialist sales? And then eventually you've gone to the product organization. Very different journey, but an equally powerful journey. And, you know, kudos to what you achieved in Salesforce. Now, Thank let's you. go into the second chapter, uh, the chapter which you are in right now, where you're really enjoying this role where you are in the board of many companies. You're also working with, you know, founder CEOs and, you know, helping them see some of the potential you saw, you know, when you worked very early in your career and making them see where they could be. How are you enjoying this role? And tell us insights, you know, what's most interesting in this role? Yeah, in every season of your career, there were there real highlights or, or reasons that, you know, I used to say to people who worked for me, what makes you jump out of bed in the morning, you know? And there's, it's different and it's unique in every season, but I would say in this season, the focus on strategy, what is the strategy to, to bring growth? Um, how do we transform so that we're staying one step ahead 
of either technological architectural changes and dynamics, or what are our customers looking for? Uh, and then that close working relationship with CEOs, new CEOs, founder CEOs, uh, CEOs like the CEO that you have at Juniper, who's just amazing, this amazing career from engineering uh, to being the CEO of this incredible company. I, those, are the, those are the aspects of this job that I, I just love and relish, being able to do that you know, every day for companies that are making a difference in so many businesses around. And I, I'm, I'm back always to that, the thing that started me in tech. I love companies that are solving what looks like boring problems, but are, but are universally needed across the board. And uh, the companies that I, I work with today um, all have a different aspect of that, but, but that's a key part of the companies that I was looking for to, to work for uh, on their board. It's fascinating to hear that part of the journey. Uh, I also always enjoy speaking to you because you have these nuggets of wisdom you know, which you are able to impart in a matter of a couple of sentences. Uh, and I really enjoy that. Let me ask you for, as we kind of round out the show, as an, as an advice to the new, new folks who are coming into the workforce, people coming from college, uh, not sure where they need to be, uh, which area they need to choose. Uh, what's the advice you can give uh, for folks coming into this field? Um, you know, doesn't matter which background they come from, which diverse background they come from. What's the one or two pieces of advice you can give them to make them thrive in this, you know, wonderful era we are in right now in the midst of chat, GPT, AI, everything is changing, you know, every moment. What would be a sage piece of advice you can give them? Yeah, I would, I would say the advice that comes from my career is, you know, number one, there are many seasons in a long career, just like there are in life. And for each season, take it as it comes and make the right decisions for those seasons. The decisions I made uh, as a new systems engineer at IBM was very different from the decisions I made as a, as a young mother and very different as the head of platform product, global product uh, at Salesforce and, and today. But these seasons do come. And when you look back on them, you, you want to feel no regret about making the right decision about the moment you are in and trusting the next season that it will be okay. That, you know, and a lot of times uh, that's what I, I mentor people to do. The other thing that I would say is sort of the secret to what I learned is opportunity almost always lies where problems lie. It's, it's usually a lonely place. There's not many people that run to that area, but if you have the courage to run to the area where the problems are, you'll be amazed at how much opportunity opens up when you are solving the complex and the difficult problems because that's where a lot of the value is hidden. So if you can solve these problems and bring value to your fellow employees, to your customers, to the company you work for, to anybody in your life, this is, this is really, you know, when I look back, these are the places, the times when I, I hesitated because nobody else was there. It can be a little lonely. It can be a little daunting. But when I look back, those tended to be the biggest places of opportunity um, in my career and in my life. So 
So I would encourage anybody in your career journey to think about those things because um, there is opportunity around and abounding. Brilliant. Let me summarize the two points. Number one, be in the moment, you know, put your best work in the moment. Don't overthink the future and where you need to be. Focus on your best work at the problem you're solving. The second is navigate towards problem areas because that's where the opportunities are. You know, growth and comfort don't go together. So you need to be a little bit uncomfortable to get to those growth opportunities. Those are the two sage advice. Really a pleasure to talk to you and as always, Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Manoj. This was a great pleasure for me and, uh, and a wonderful privilege. Thank you.